Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 253 and this episode is with the Head of Strength and IDP at Huddersfield Town, Callum Adams. Callum came on and we talked about the old approach that he used to take with players compared to the new approach he now takes and some of the considerations that go into that, the reasons for change. He spoke about the use of microdosing, how his approach changes under different managers and different management styles, some periodization variables, and also the difference between championship and Premier League schedules as well. So we covered loads in this one, and Callum gave a really good insight into how his approach has changed, but also the details and the actual step-by-step approach he took with players, with coaches on changing that as well and how we got players involved in the process and sort of um, spoke with players, communicated with players and let them know how things were going to change and how important the use of languages and themes and all that sort of stuff. So if if you're in a similar position, you're definitely going to take a lot from this episode with Callum. Just a very quick heads up on some upcoming events of ours, some of our networking events. We've already got out there early bird tickets for our event on Wednesday the 20th of September from 6 till 9pm at Doncaster Rovers. We've got Sam Bowerin, who's the head of sports science at Doncaster, as well as Harry Hurst, who's head of academy sports science at Doncaster. They're both going to be presenting for us at that event. So if you're interested in attending, go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab and then networking events. You'll be able to get yourself an early bird ticket as this podcast goes out. In addition to this though as well, we've now confirmed our next, what is going to be our next networking event on Tuesday the 12th of September from 5 till 8pm. We're going to be going back to Rehab for Performance in Liverpool. A great facility for anyone that's not been or not seen the work that the guys do there. Um, we've got a brilliant lineup of speakers. We've got the director of physio and performance at Rehab for Performance, Matt Konopinski, who's previously been on the podcast. He's going to be presenting alongside first team physical performance coach at Everton, Jack Dowling, and also from Everton, head of first team sports science, Jack Naylor. They're all going to be presenting for us on that evening. So again, as this podcast goes out, early bird tickets are available for this event. Don't miss it. It's going to be a cracker. So go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop and then networking events and you'll be able to confirm your place there. Just before we get into the episode with Callum, I just want to say a massive thank you to our sponsors, The Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus, you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. Also, a big thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? 
For pro sport teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure-validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe, and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel, or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com, that's H-Y-T-R-O.com, or email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. And a big thank you as well to our longest serving sponsors, that is Rezzle. Make sure you go and check them out on social media at Rezzle. And let's get into episode 253 with Callum Adams. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 253. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by the Head of Strength and IDP at Huddersfield Town, Callum Adams. Callum, how are we? I am excellent, to be fair. Uh, What day is it? Thursday afternoon. So yeah, I'm uh, getting closer to the game. It always gets more exciting when you get closer to the game. So I'm pretty good, yeah. Well, it's very good to have you on, mate. I'm not... You said before this is your first podcast that you've done. I'm not quite sure how. I don't know how no one's had you on the podcast. I don't know how we've not had you on the podcast yet. Um, but thank you for coming people, on. I think people don't enjoy listening to me, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely not true. Definitely not true. Um, Cal, just give us a little bit of background on yourself. Okay, yeah. Um, so how did I start in the game? So I actually, I went to obviously university and I, I studied exercise science. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. My dad at the time was was pushing me towards NHS and I, I just didn't want to do it. It wasn't what got me going, if you like. And then uh, I got an opportunity to volunteer at Huddersfield Giants football uh, Rugby Club uh, and Huddersfield Town at the time, um, just doing little bits of like testing and stuff like that in, in, in the lab. Um, and then there was a, an inter, like a part-time internship or a volunteer role um, going that I interviewed for under Darren Robinson at the time in terms of head of sports science and um, interviewed for that um, got it quite late on in the season because they had a few complications uh, and yeah so I just did little bits of like physical profiling and stuff like that um, once a week um, and then I actually got a role at Brentford Football Club um, for a short period of time but then I was then offered in the same week uh, an internship here um, which being a northern guy well Midlands guy but more northern guy I, I took the opportunity to stay, to stay up here and I did an internship for the first season, actually as a sports scientist, technically, um, or GPS analyst. So I got into the field. My, my interest was always strength conditioning, but um, at the time it was like, oh, I want to get into football. So um, I took the role as GPS analyst, did a solid year of, of GPS analyst, got really good at Excel <laughs> um, in that time. Excel before that was just doing a few uh, sums, if you like. And then after that year, I think I, I got pretty good at it. Um, then I got offered a full-time role um, in 2015-16. So that was 14 and 15 as an intern. And then 15 and 16 full-time role, um, which was very much still just a GPS analyst, if you like, uh, um, as a GPS analyst. 
Um, what it did allow me to do, though, was understand the game more in terms of behind and what the demands are of the game. Um, so I actually really enjoyed that period of time. Uh, as it, as the years went on, so maybe the first three or four years, I, I developed from like almost like a GPS analyst to an all-rounder, if you like, as they call him, or a generalist. Um, started doing bits in the gym, stuff like that. And then, um, it, well, roughly three years ago, so just after COVID, um, obviously there was a few changes at the club and that sort of stuff. And uh, my passion started, well, it already was there, but I started to really get into my own in terms of the strength conditioning or the gym the gym stuff. Um, and then the, the director of football at the time really liked my work and and offered me the role of, my current role of head of strength and, and IDP, which I was doing little bits of it prior to being officially offered the role, if you like. Um but it then almost became official within the structure of the the department, if you like. And uh, so, yeah, I've been doing this role uh, officially for the last uh, yeah two and a half, well, three seasons now. So, uh, yeah, that's me. Awesome, mate. So we are approaching. What is it, over? What is it? Ten years? Ten years at the club? This, this is actually so. Yeah, this is the start of my tenth season. Um, technically, yeah. Um, we've obviously won you as an intern right at the start, but. At this club, yeah, my tenth, my tenth full season. Awesome. So naturally, with any club across that time, you're going to have worked with, well, one a number of players, a large number of players, but also a number of coaches, head coaches, managers, with many, many different styles across that time. So when you've experienced those changes, how has that impacted you in your practice? Um, so yeah, I mean, on that obviously back in what, when was it? I did the the conference with yourself. Um, we spoke about this a little bit in terms of how many coaches I've worked under. Um, I think it was around seven or eight. I forget the number sometimes. Um, seven or eight, and within that, I've had English philosophies, if you like, and also European philosophies, uh, in particular German and and Spanish. Um, obviously under under Wagner and Carlos, um, very different. Uh, obviously, you hear a lot about it anyway. Um, the English game is becoming more and more European as we speak, if you like. Um, the differences for me, obviously, are the, the biggest difference is the periodization of the week leading to games. Um, obviously, in the Championship, we have um, two game weeks quite regular. Um, so that's your Saturday, Tuesday, Saturdays. But when it is a one game week, the periodization is the biggest difference I've seen in um, between English and European uh periodization if you like and they both offer challenges they both offer pros uh, and they both offer challenges um in terms of i guess my remit in terms of my work um again they'll both offer pros and cons i i do prefer the european style in terms of my work so i get the more opportunities more uh, contact times with the players uh, in terms of times to be able to work with them um as such but um what i haven't really enjoyed is adapting to to the English style as well and having that extra day in the middle of the week off and then how does that impact the players' work to, uh, at the start of the week compared to the end of the week and yeah so the biggest difference for me is um, the periodization and being able to make sure the players get the same work in but in a different in a different uh, in a different way we're going to go into that work in a little bit and how that's um, changed throughout your time at the club as well because um, I think that'd be really interesting but Obviously, in that period of time, the club have been championship, but they've been up to the Premier League as well. Yep. So what's been the biggest difference in terms of the Premier League schedule, championship schedule, which has impacted you and your work? Yeah, I think 
at the time, in the, obviously in the Premier League and not being a, a team in the Premier League that has any um, any further domestic cup, uh, sorry, further cup competitions like Europa League, etc. You actually get more time with the players, um, so there's a lot more one game weeks, if you like, than than there is two game weeks. Um, so my, when people ask me about like whether it's players that come into the club now or 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 staff, it's always the same messages. Well, you actually get more time to work with the players. Um, you generally get to train them more and, and harder um, because you always you play on a Saturday, Saturday or Sunday, depending on TV or Friday. But generally, the next game is at least between six and nine days apart. Um, very rarely nine, but most of the time six or seven days apart because you're playing on a Saturday and then maybe a Sunday or a Saturday to Saturday. Um, so you get more contact time um, in terms of physical work, if you like, um, which then obviously con uh, correlates with the coach having more technical time, more tactical time, more uh, off-field coaching as well. Um, whereas in the championship, yes, there's, there is a lot of one-game weeks. Um, obviously, last season was challenging again in itself with the World Cup involved. But yeah, in the, in the championship, it's very much double game weeks quite often. Um, and having to look at not just the weeks, but the the mesocycles in how much work can you get in this six weeks and then also the next six weeks because actually this mesocycle has got four double game weeks but the next one's only got one um so that was that's always the biggest challenge in the championship but um yeah they're the biggest differences you can basically you can get more work into the premier league uh schedule if you like i think it'd be good to dive into some details now on the actual way that you go into your programming and what would be good is to look at those differences from Premier League to Championship but just before we do that I just wanted to ask around your approach and how it's differed how it's transitioned across your short career so far like what's the main changes that you see that you've made so it's an interesting question because I I'm I'm very interested in psychology I don't actually have any technically psychology degrees if you like or qualifications but the the biggest difference is, is how you get that message across to the players and the buy-in um when you're trying to program strength and condition for the player a lot of footballers don't really enjoy it not all some some love it and, and there is more and more nowadays um but i've lost track there sorry what was the, what was the question again <laughs> Yeah, just how how things have transitioned for yourself in terms of like the so yeah so at, at the beginning of my career if you like in the, in the period of time there was I was a lot more careful if you like that's probably the easiest way to say it um, what's the the minimal risk I can take but get work into them because you're you're trying, you're dealing with giving the players minimal risk at this, um, in my old philosophy or my old beliefs if you like but also dealing with players that really want to work and they question are we doing enough. But I was really, I guess, best way to say, I was, at the time, I was really nervous and scared to injure players, um, make not not be available, and the coaches won't be happy because this player's not performing in training or whatever. So I'd always go on the, the side of caution. I think the biggest change I've had is I'm less like that now. I, players want to work. Players want to be challenged. Players want sessions to feel hard. Um, obviously, periodization has to be right, so not every single session is hard. But when it's right to hit them hard, I enjoy making sure they are, making sure they're getting the right intensities, whether that's lifting or conditioning. Um, so that's where my, I've differed from my beginning, if you like, of my story or my my career to now where it's almost like how much work can I do with the players and is it the right work and are they doing it right rather than ticking a box is probably my, my honest answer. 
Um, so that's been the, the biggest change for me as a, as a coach, if you like, strength, uh, strength coach. Do you think that's been a natural progression as well, Cal, for the industry as a whole, when the demands of games have started to creep up as well, though? So we start understanding even more that players have to be robust enough, fit enough, strong enough to deal with these modern-day demands. Yeah, I mean, the, the game is it's changing. It, it's the, uh, Every single year, I mean, obviously this year, the massive discussion around the, the extra time and how much vol- more volume the players are going to get. But if we take that away for a little bit, because it's only been two or three games, the game is getting, the players are doing more distance in, in the same period of time, yeah. if you like. And they're also doing more explosive or high intense distance in the same period of time. The players are just becoming, football is becoming better athletes, especially even five, six years ago, your Premier League was your absolute elite, not just technically, but your elite physical athletes. And then as you went down the leagues, it, it kind of went with the leagues, if you like, that physically that it got a lot, not as good, the lower you went down. Whereas I think now all the way from, I, I've worked with players that have maybe moved down to League Two or, or, or National League and there's not much difference now. There is, but there's not a big, big difference. And I think the best way to describe that from me would be when I came in as a GPS analyst, I had nine units, um, catapult at the time, I had nine units and I had obviously there's 11 players on the football pitch and obviously within a squad, there's a lot more than 11. So I had to choose certain positions on certain days and make sure each position has got one and this player's got one to monitor and him for return to play. Obviously now we've got a unit for every player in the club, including academy. And then I, I've we've played against National League sides and, and non-league sides um, in pre-season and they all have GPS. So that just shows that the game, that in itself for me shows that the game is adaptive physically because the lower, the lower you go down in leagues, the same work's being done. Um, maybe with less men and less manpower, but the same work's being done. Um, it's just where the, where the game's going and, and players care now. Um, they want to push on for the career. They, they also care, but they also see that their, ne- their neighbour and the person next to them is doing it as well. So um, it's, I think it's exciting for sport football fans, if you like, or even sport fans because it's across sport. But for football fans, it's exciting because the game becomes quicker, faster and more goals and all that sort of stuff. Um, the fitter players are, the better decision making is made in, in later in games. So you're probably getting, uh, without looking at research on that, you're probably getting better end to games and more goals. And yeah, so I, I just think the game's getting much more exciting because of the physical side is getting better and better. So You said before about the sort of buying or, um, well, yeah, buying from players. Does it make that sell to players easier? Now, or do you think that's just from a culture of players are getting used to having a gym program? Play, one, believe it or not, I mean, well, I know you'll know this, but the, one of the biggest challenges now is that players have their own, um, I think, their own nutritionists and fitness coaches, etc. That was set by well, the most famous player was Ronaldo when he first came to Man United, and he had his own team behind him. Um, and then obviously a lot of the Premier League sides with the money, uh, players with the money they 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 have. It's more fundable, if you like. Um, you see that at all levels now. I see that with National League players. I, I know a few players that have played here and have played National League recently. They they have external coaches. So one of the biggest challenges sometimes is actually reining the players in and not doing mm-hmm. too much. Um, and that's where, I mean, not to go too much into it right now, but in terms of the IDP role, I had to adapt a little bit. And that's another, that's another area I've changed. Not get offended um, is probably the best way that... I have to manage 25-plus players um, at one point more than that because I had another team as well in terms of the academy. 
And as good as I think I may think my programming is, if I'm not always giving a player one-to-one attention, they may feel they're not getting enough. So they go seek a one-to-one because they feel they're working harder because somebody's giving them face-to-face attention for 45 minutes to an hour. You don't get that with one one man to 20 or 25. So the, one of the biggest challenges sometimes realising, because you may see a player maybe shirking it a little bit and not doing everything. And you think, why is that? Think a little bit deeper. Oh, I've got a session tonight with so-and-so. Okay, but we need you need to let us know that because not just because we need to know um, why you're doing it, but also what you're doing. Because if you're doing, that's for ease for the ease of this conversation, if you're doing that certain lift in the evening, but you're also doing it with me in the morning, this intensity and that intensity in the evening, then what are you actually getting out of it? And actually, are, are you increasing your risk of injury, even though you're trying to reduce it? <laughs> Um, so that's actually been one of the biggest challenges in my role for the last three years. That it's just becoming more and more prevalent. Um, I don't actually begrudge it too much. I actually quite encourage it, and I quite like the the collaboration of it, if you like. Um, because if what what I'm here to try and do is actually get the best out of the players physically. If psychologically they feel they're going to do this X, Y, and Z better away from the club. Then okay, but let's let's work together and let's have a conversation with this coach. And yeah, that's I think a challenge that a lot of people in my position or similar will face. Um, but I think my best if if I'm giving advice on this sort of conversation would be actually be a bit be open minded with it because um, it's also quite exciting because you can network and, and, and learn as well. Um, but yeah, that that is a challenge that. I think even the fans, if you like, will see that players do work externally. They see it on Instagram, they see it on social media. Um, and they may, they may even question, well, hang on, does he not play for so-and-so? And why is he, yeah. Some may not, some may just see it as that's what that's the norm. It is. It's not far off the norm now. Um, and like I say, it, it, that's from the Premier League all the way down to the National League. And, I, and de- dare I say it, even lower. So, yeah. Probably yeah. more, even, even more probably lower because there'll be less staff. But, you, yeah. I think I think the big point, isn't it, is the transparency from both sides. Yep. And that's that's where you just said like those relationships are absolutely crucial between the private coach and the club or or a representative of the club, just so people know what's going on on both sides. I think that's the key, isn't it? And that's probably where lines are getting very blurred with certain instances like that, because like you say, things are just getting repeated. Players then become at higher risk. Um, and that's that's where it becomes a real issue, isn't it? Yeah, and I think what what happens is in terms of the IDP role side of my role, if you like, this is where it comes in as like a bit of a psychological role as well. And we have a psychologist that works with us, the staff, if you like, indirectly in to then work with the players. And it's it's knowing the, each player, and if certain players, for example, will not tell you what they're doing outside the club. Um, fortunately, I think one of my strengths is being quite observant. Um, I can tell when players change and when I spend a lot of time with the players. Um, I'm the first person they work with every single day. Um, a lot of them confine in me and tell me stuff and don't tell me stuff. And I can tell when behaviours change. Um, so certain players, you know that potentially something's going on here. So you talk to them and that's when they then tell you. Um, and I think if you push back on that, you've got more risk of them hiding it even more. And then it could cause problems down the line um a lot of the time it never happens in the instant so for the first one two maybe a month they're doing these double sessions or triple sessions in 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 a day or a week or whatever and nothing comes of it 
Um, but it, it's later down the line, it's the chronic effects that, that could become a problem. And it's it's helping the players understand that is is another part of my my role as an SNC coach in a football in a first team football environment, if you like. Um is actually like you say the collaboration um because it's really important and it's it's almost allowing them to be in a safe safe space to open up to me and be like okay this is what i'm doing this is why and then sometimes the why isn't because they don't feel they're getting enough from me sometimes the why is i put it out there the agents all that sort of stuff comes into place so there's a hell of a lot of considerations to to be considered um and that's the biggest challenge I, that's where i'd say my role is i call i'm, I'm a strength and idv coach as, as official but I do believe I'm also a psychologist at times um, mm -hmm. and having to deal with that, that side of things. Um, and I do believe the same program that I could program can be delivered in a really bad way, whether that's the actual delivery of the content or the way I, the way I coach it, or it can be delivered in a really good way. And that it'll be the same program, but that's the difference between it being elite and, and not being so elite to like is how you manage the, the human. So that's the big. That's my biggest learning from the last ten years. To to link to the question you asked earlier, is I could do the same program for the next ten years, and it could be delivered very differently to thirty different players every year. So, yeah, brilliant, Carl. If there's coaches out there that are struggling with that relationship with players, you just said about there, like the sort of psychology side. There'll be coaches, and I'm sure you you can think of people that are technically brilliant programs in a great spot they just can't get that relationship going with the players or like you said get them on a level that isn't just football gym and I know a little bit more about them and see these changes in behavior if if someone's in a position like that what would you add any sort of advice for them I always use an example I've spoke to people just in general about this and I always use the example of I always use an exercise, for example, so a squat or a deadlift. Um, let's say sets and reps of three times five, and the aim is strength for that day. The way I do it, with, I could deliver that exact same sets, reps, and exercise in four or five different ways. So there's certain players that want to be, obviously, for example, a deadlift is very widely and commonly used. So a lot of players know what a deadlift is, especially a trap bar deadlift nowadays, a, a technically easier lift to, to coach and then your conventional but one player likes to be demonstrated to the team all the cues your textbook when you go to university oh, exactly how you learn how to do this lift and how you how you how you learn how to coach it then players thrive off that they want it they want every single cue when, when they're lifting when they're not when once they're resting what's the feedback whether that's uh, internal or external feedback they want absolutely everything other players just want some players on the opposite end of the scale just want to walk in the gym. What am I doing, Carl? What weight am I doing? Some want, want to know exactly what weight they're doing. They don't even care. They just want, all right, I'm doing that weight. Have I done it before? Yeah, okay, bang, lift it, walk out. And then you've got the ones in the middle that will come up to you and they'll ask you, right, we're doing this trap bar deadlift today, three times five. Thanks, Carl. What weight did I do last time? Okay, thank you. And they will go off, not on their own because they're in the gym, but they'll go off on their own, they'll do it and they'll just be left to it. That's, I mean, that's three different examples I've, I've, I've given you there. Some needs... And it, it it may sound daft to some people, but they may need entertaining. So in between their in, don't be afraid in between their lifts. Have a laugh with them. Hmm. Talk about what they did the other evening. What film did you watch? What Netflix? And I think that's one of the biggest skills I've learned is that when the players want to talk about that, let's talk about it. Let's almost distract them from the next set. But then as soon as 
do it's time to work they're like right, okay let's go let's lift what am i doing okay bang put the weight down or whatever they're doing exercise and we'll go back to talking about the idris elba show that we watched last night and some players don't want to talk about it. some just don't want to talk to you so yeah. it's it is really one not being offended i've already said that don't be offended if people don't the players don't want to talk to you don't question that just it's hard to build relationships at times in football because they can be there for six months on a loan. They can be there for a year on a loan. They can be there for a five-year contract and some even 10, so you get to really know them. But it's trying to know them quickly. Um, and then once you do know them, best practice, I mean, obviously, a lot of coaches will know as well that when you're organising sessions, you'll put certain players with certain players because get, they get the best out of them. Sometimes it's the opposite. You know that him and him and him aren't great together because they just mess about. So actually, we put him with him because he concentrates. So all the stuff that we've all we've all experienced probably in that time, or anybody who's maybe looking in to get into the game, is them considerations can be the massive difference between a good a good session and and a bad session, or a bad week and a good week, or a good season and a bad season. Um, and it's just learning them small little soft skills that I I like I say could be the same program for the next ten years, but each year I learn something different. Um, to to get the players or get or keep the players engaged. Um, so yeah, it's getting to know. I always say get to know the human because I think using the word human makes people, most coaches and people realize they are humans. Footballers sometimes aren't seen as humans; they're seen as these robots that just should do everything perfect. They don't. Um, so yeah, it's getting to know the human, um, and then coaching and managing that human, not not the footballer coaching and managing that human. Where if you had a new signing coming, Cal, like take now, for example, you've gone through a pre-season period, you got your squad together, you started the season, the lads are probably bonding at this point as well, becoming a quite a tight-knit group, but then you get a new signing coming, someone that you don't know, would you put it out to them and say, like, how do you like to work? Especially if you're someone a bit more experienced. Yes, I think this, this links a little bit to what uh, we will talk about, so I may as well jump onto that. So. One of the the biggest messages. So when I made this, when I made a big change to how we prepare players, I actually sat down with the players and presented to them um, of what we're going to do and why. Um, I won't talk all about it just right now, but one particular thing that you triggered there was it was an open and honest conversation, and I had a few buzzwords, if you like, or keywords that I put on a slide, and it was almost like this is what I want as as an SNC coach, um, having experienced many different types of players, like you said, I want. Uh, communication or sorry ownership so every single player has ownership of their program accountability which kind of links having having that ownership allows you to stay uh, accountable to, to yourself but also the, the team around you uh, and one of the biggest ones there was a few on there but one of the biggest ones was communication I really sold sold that to them that communication is probably the most important one out of all of them Either I, I've said it a few times now I'm, I'm not a coach that gets offended and I also know there's more than one way to skin a cat if you don't like something, don't spend six weeks. I'm going to use deadlift again as an example because it's the, the simplest one to relate to for a lot of people. A lot of some players, it hurts their back. But in simple terms, um, they some players won't tell you for six weeks. Mm. You may not be with them at that moment time when they're doing that lift because you're dealing with the other player at the other side of the room. Um, and that's the reality of having one to 20 at times. But... They will tell you six weeks later, oh, that, can we go? Can, I, I would cue maybe that progressive overload. Can we increase the load by five or 10 kilos today then? Um, and they'll be like, yeah, do it. And they'll be like, oh, my back. I was like, oh, do you normally get that? I would then ask them, do you normally get that? Oh, yeah, I've had it from this. 
or why have you not communicated that? Um, and a lot of players just believe maybe from past experiences with different coaches or other clubs that they may have come from, they believe that I just got to do these exercises and that's whatever the coach writes on the board is what I must do. I I don't believe that's get, that gets the best out of humans, as I said previous. If you want to apply a maximal strength exercise to a player, we all know there's more than one way. Then if they really, really, even with all the coaching cues in the world, and let's remember we don't we have minimal time with these players. So sometimes it can't be purely just coaching the movement to to best deadlift. Actually, we need to actually just get some maximal force out of this guy. So what else can we do? Um, if they communicate that, let's do something else. And sometimes it's not even um, a physical issue where they're in pain or anything. They just don't like the exercise because they've heard somebody else has hurt themselves on it or it doesn't look cool or you don't always fully know, but if they just really, really don't get on with it. And I think that's the culture I've managed to build within the team that I work with. And even when players come in, um, they feel I think they can feel it in the room and when, when they're in sessions that there's a lot of, Cal, what... Uh, what else can I do instead of this today? Sometimes it's just a day as well because I've got a little niggle from the game or whatever it is. Um, and it's being open to that. And the best way for us coaches to plan with that is always have your gold standard and then have a progression, regression and alternative, which I'll, I'll touch on in terms of the physical prep. But um, then you've always got ammo to to change that, if you like. And sometimes it's actually just manipulating the exercise for, for, that, for that player and uh, making it more efficient for them. Um, I mean, at the moment we have a six foot nine player, and well, he's left now actually. But we've, I think, our smallest player is five foot seven. So them doing the same exercise doesn't look the same. Simple as yeah. that. It is the same exercise, but it doesn't look the same. So it's thinking about that before you you deliver your session as well. What are they in the same group? Because if they are, that become a problem when you when both lifting together, kind of thing. So uh, yeah, I'm going off going off on a tangent there a little bit, but yeah. No, I think it's really important that because the whole art of being approachable, flexible, being able to adapt is really key for players, isn't it? But a lot of coaches will probably think they've got the ability to adapt a session or you'd, you'd like to think so. But I suppose the real key bit is the players being, like you said, open and willing to come forward and go, Cal, this is what's been going on. Like, can, can we work together on it? And it's probably that's the missing link for a lot of people, isn't it? Because they won't get to that stage. It, it, yeah, and one of the biggest things as well is obviously when you're coaching something and you can see that it's you've learned all these different things, whether it's from podcasts, watching podcasts, whether it's seminars, going to university or wherever you've learned certain exercises and cues, etc. That might it might look textbook, but what you see and what they feel is two different things. So I always give them feedback from me. I give them external feedback sometimes with videos. Even even with them too, if I say, Well, that looked really good and look, it looks really good. They may also may still say, no, but it hurts this car. Oh, yeah. okay. And that's where the the real transparent like you have there's almost three parts to that. Um I, I, that I've just described. And you have to listen to them a lot of the time. And I think I've now built I got to a point where players are honest with me as well. They won't just say it for the saying it's sake. Some will. I'm not naive to that, but um it, it's just yeah, it's being approachable and then and then it's backing that up. So obviously I as we all know, if you're going to say something, you have to back it up. And if you say that you're approachable and you're adaptable and you don't take offence to having to change something, then back it up and, and have that plan. Um, because if you if you back it up on that first time, they ask, they've got, you know, that could almost buy in their, their, that could almost get their buy-in for the rest of the season and the rest of the yeah. year and maybe the rest of the contract. 
So it is, it is, it's trivial little things, but it um, it can help for your own day to day and your own coaching career that um, will make it easier for you if you're more open minded. And that again, I'm saying that as if like it's easy. I I I didn't start like that. I started thinking like everything has to be textbook and how what I learned at university and or or where conferences or whatever I've been on. But actually, it's just skills that you, this is where I never understood to what experience was until I got experience um, and I, I now understand that experience allows you to adapt to these things so it's not something to be if you're maybe just starting in the game or 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 sport or even have done a year or two and you're wondering it's not anything to be um, caught up on or, or worried about it's just learning them little soft skills um, and you'll get your own as well there'll be stuff that I've not even mentioned or even experienced myself that other people will love um, but once you feel you've got to where you want to in terms of what you've learned and you I mean I don't ever feel like I've learned everything but it's then really honing on that coaching side of things and just getting to know getting to know your players in your way and and ways that people talk about and, and experience too definitely we've got some really exciting content to come over the next few weeks on our online community I know I say that a lot but it is really exciting from all the networking events the presentations are going to go up onto the community as well as some really exciting webinars um, on a number of different topics. So if you're not already a member, make sure you go and check it out. There is also a presentation on there from Callum Adams called Aligning Performance and Development in Professional Football. That was from our event we did at Huddersfield Town. So you can get full access to all of that, plus all the content that's to come in the next few weeks by going to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and get yourself signed up there. It'll give you a 30-day free trial after your free trial, you become a full paid member of the community and you also get access to our members WhatsApp group as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and get yourself signed up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Callum Adams. Now, I want to flick back to the sort of Premier League Championship comparisons and more, I suppose, sort of scheduling of games. So not necessarily just those leagues, but how that impacts the strength work that you're doing with players, where you get the work in, where microdosing comes into it, what that actually even looks like on a on a sort of week to week basis. Okay, so I'll, I'll paint a little story if you like, um, or a picture. Um, so prior to this period of time, the last three years, um, what we we used to call, and it also makes sense soon, we used to call pre-activation or pre-act, uh, and then gym. They were two separate things. Uh, and actually, IRM, which was injury risk management. So there's three different pockets there prior to prior to how we do it now in terms of the microdosing. So the players would every single day, whether no, no matter what coach it was at that time, they would preact prior to to training, uh, and that generally looked like um, foam rolling, banded activation, mobility, uh, and sometimes that might be all of them in one session, but generally probably spread across foam rolling on a Monday, band activation on a Tuesday. This is just an example. Um, mobility on a Wednesday and then maybe a day before a game was all three of them uh, and then they would do a gym uh, a gym session or strength session in the PM on, on a Tuesday generally in both periodizations English or European um, and that would be it but then um, if I take it back to one ex- particular experience uh, under David Wagner we would do a gym on a Tuesday morning uh, with some high speed running and then the technical or, or coaching session on the pitch would be in the PM now, the pros and cons of doing AM PM gym or AM or PM gym is on when we had that experience of doing AM gym, 
um, players would save themselves knowing they have training in the in the afternoon. They wouldn't tell you. Some some would. Some would straight up say, I'm saving myself this afternoon. I'm going to keep it this weight or whatever it is. Um, and someone you just know are holding back because they've got a uh, technical session in the afternoon. The problem with that was, uh, in reflection and at uh, the time, was you've got one time, you've got one moment with them in a week and they're holding back on it. So you're not actually getting what you want out of it anyway. So that 100% session that we had on a Tuesday morning then became arbitrary numbers 60%, 70% maybe even 50. So you're missing out on a massive chunk. And then obviously with the other challenge of uh, the championship, having double game weeks, so it could be three weeks before you see the gym again. Um, and then obviously, no, I was delivering a lot of the pre-activation and, and less of the gym at the time. Um, I was more support, if you like. And that and that, that enabled me to to reflect. I'm a very reflective coach. Um, it enabled me, to, enabled me to reflect a lot and, there was just wasn't some there's something just wasn't right. Um, it, it obviously kept going on for one, two, three, four, five years at my at the start of my time here. Um, and it actually came when there was a big change. Um, the head of physical performance at the time had left, um, and one of the physical performance coaches that was here in our department, for like, was then promoted to the to be the head, head of physical performance. Um. And he he challenged us to have well not challenged us sorry he asked us to review um, the the prep and the, the strength work if you like with the players and what we thought of it because it it got to a point where and again this is honest answers um, it was almost like a a Russian roulette of who would take prep in in our department because it became it was in the COVID year actually I remember it really really clearly that it was in the tent taking it a lock we had a big marquee for the COVID restrictions. And players will come in and it come in at the time that they've been given, and you'd see players plodding on the bike, not really pedaling. Would then coach and lead the session. So someone like myself or somebody else would stand at the front and coach and lead um, an activation session with the entire group. Everyone doing exactly the same thing. And every day it was like I said, it was almost a bit of a running thing in our department. Who's going to take the prep today? Because um, no, no one really led it at the time. Um, and yeah, it got to a point where people just didn't want to do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's being really blunt and honest as that. People didn't want to do it. Um, so then at the end of this, that season, I think it was the 1920 season, um, the change, the big change had been made in the department. He'd, he'd been, he'd stepped up to be head of physical performance and he challenged me and, and a, I'm going to say friend, not colleague, <laughs> Dan, to uh, to review the, the entire uh, indoor condition if you like uh, in in the in the in the club uh, we spent the off season doing it um and it, it just something had to change we had to how can we get more work into the players how can we ensure they're getting the working when they are actually doing it um um how can we actually get a buy-in if you like and i know buy-in is quite a buzzword and that's it's used quite a lot quite cliche um, and he said, well, I mean, we, we asked him this because we thought we, we was both struggling at the time and thinking, how can we do this? And we actually asked him, he said, what, have you ever asked the players? And then we was like, well, no, because um, obviously we just have always believed that we, we're the coaches, we do it. Have you asked the players? And okay, yeah. So what we actually did before the end of the season was we sat down with every single individual in a room, just me and the player. And Dan had a group of players as well. We had a set question, set amount of, uh, I think it was four or five questions. And we just asked them, about pre-activation, what's your thoughts? Genuine, gen like one of the questions was just open, honest thoughts. 
Then another one was, what would you, what have you done in the past? Another one was, what would you do differently? And another one was, what would you like to do? Something like that. And it just allowed us to get so many different views. So we had young pros that were transitioning from the B team to the first team within them questions. Um, 23, 24-year-old pros that obviously kind of just at the start, but are quite regulars in the first team. And then we had the senior players as well. That uh, And then on top of that, you've got, within that mix of all them, you've got players coming from different clubs, experiences, different cultures, that sort of stuff. So we got so many different answers. One of the most common ones that came up, and, it, and when I describe the way we do prep, it'll make sense, was they want to do what they want to do, put it simply. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we can't just let them loose for half an hour and every single day and not get the work that we think is needed. But that came up a lot. It was like, we'd like time, basically, to do what we like to do. Because they, they come into the, they used to come into prep, 10 o'clock, till half past 10, you've been told what to do. You're on the bike for 10 minutes. That group's on the bike. That group's with me. Swap over, blah, blah, blah. And that was it. But never got time to themselves. Unless it was really proactive and they got in the gym first. But yeah. sometimes it was, there was stuff, meetings and uh, strappings and, and the breakfast first. There was just no time for that sometimes. Um, so that was the biggest one. So then that that prompted us within our planning that we would go down. Me and Dan um, spoke a lot about microdosing and that we need to do it. Um, but how do we get it into? How do we get it in? Like, players don't want to wait around till one o'clock every single day. That then prompted, well, actually, can we do it pre-training? Well, we've, we've never done that before, uh, which was a battle mentally to think, oh, can we do this? Because it's a massive change for the players. Um, we've not experienced it anywhere else coaching it um, and we've not heard any of the players say that's something they would like to do so it was almost like just go with it um, luckily we had a director of football at the time that was very autonomous and uh, gave, sorry gave us a lot of autonomy and, and freedom to express ourselves and so we went with it and we came up with um, we actually got rid again psychology, psychology we, we got rid of the word pre-act because it was just associated with what it was um, and it's now called prep or physical. We actually prompted it to be physical preparation, but it's now just called prep. I know it seems such a trivial thing, but it, it actually has been a massive thing. And at the start, I actually find players for using the word pre-act. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and it helped. So then off the back of that, the, the most effective change I did was take away the word gym or strength and actually give every single day. So not only do we microdose, um, every single day has a theme. Um, and that theme has a name. So the players now use them themes and them names when they're coming in and they know on a match day minus four, we're doing uh, we're doing robustness. So they know exactly why they're in the gym uh, and what they're doing it for. And I, f- I, I use this arbitrary number again that I believe prior we had like a 30, 70, 30%, 70% split in terms of application and non-application. Um, and I do believe that has flipped. Um, I'd, I'd even be confident enough to say 80-20, but... Um. Yeah, we use a themed approach for microdosing each every single day, and, and players now know when certain sessions are. So they know day before a game we're doing a primer. Um, and it's called PF, it's called PFW. Um, and the players know. So when when we're away, sometimes sometimes if it's a really uh long distance fixture, and they're not training here, we're training somewhere else. They'll be asking, well, where, where are we going to do PFW? They know. So to get to a point where players really really wasn't buying into the process when it was actually in the moment so when they're not in the moment and asking where they're doing it um for me has been the biggest most f- fulfilling part of my career if you like 
um, which again seems really trivial, but it's actually it's increased engagement, it's increased buying, and it's and through the testing that we obviously that we we conduct is, is actually increased physical performance as well as maintained it. So um, a lot of first team coaches' aims are to maintain and and make sure that players are crossing the line every single Saturday. Um, but again, where, where my philosophy has changed is actually can we maintain, but can we actually make players better as well? Um, and that has has been proven a number of times um, since the change anyway. I think where you're talking about themes and names, it's really important, but especially really important when you're making a change, like you said, where you're like reframing something, isn't it? Yeah. You're getting rid of, you're getting out with the old and in with the new. And the, the whole pre-act would have been set into players' routines, wouldn't it? So to continue using something like that, but change what you're doing would have probably been quite confusing, even though we know it's probably similar work to a point. Yeah, I think I think it's a really important point, isn't it? That that if you're going to make a change, it needs reframing for players. Yeah, it was just it was really important to me that the players when they came into the gym was there to for a purpose and it was there to make change and yeah. adapt. Um, and what what's actually happened is we didn't take away what they used to do, so we didn't take away the bike and the, we haven't taken away sorry the bike, the form rolling or the mobility, but we've given that to them. Yeah, um, we've given that to them. So when they come into the gym every day depends on the day and the theme they'll have a certain period of time every single day uh, we call it self prep um to have time to themselves some will sit on a bike for 10 minutes if they've got 10 minutes they feel that's what they want to do some will sit on a bike for five minutes <clears throat> and obviously the science may say that it's not long enough or it's too long or are they doing it right intensity but one of the most important things i realize is that sometimes it doesn't go out the window science but is what's the point in science going to get 20 percent of buy-in um, I'd rather get 80% or 70% of the right thing but 100% of the compliance to it Yeah. Um, if that makes sense so if, if we believe sorry about that <laughs> um, if we believe 8 minutes or 12 minutes depending on what research you read is enough to get the, the heart rate um, thermogenesis etc is the right thing but actually only doing 5 minutes is are they doing the right thing well actually at least doing 5 minutes at the right intensity rather than five minute plod that they used to do. Um because they they've got ownership of it. I so I spoke about I, I touched on that a little bit earlier. They've got ownership of it. And because they have ownership of it, you the players come in for that first 10 minutes and you don't you very rarely see players messing about and not doing anything because they have this sense of I'm owning this and this is what I've chose to do. So some players will walk straight in, they'll get on the bands and they'll do some glute activation, hip, quad, whatever they, they want to focus on. Um and then they know on the board, right, this is my session. And then we I we try and individualize that as much as possible. Um, and when I say much as possible, um, there's a few things there. So there's the fact the facilities. So the facilities is one uh, in the space. You you can't give every single player 20, say there's 20 players. Um, if we're training with 20 players, you can't have 20 different exercises going off for the same outcome. <clears throat> and a lot of the time you don't need to do that because there's no point in reinventing the wheel for, for certain stuff. But I spoke, I touched on it earlier a little bit. So we have a gold standard exercise for each. Uh, so we have a template um, for each day. A gold standard exercise, uh, a progression, a regression, and an alternative. Um, and that's generally how it works. But sometimes every single player might do the same exercise because actually it's just uh, a filler, if you like, um, a low-intense exercise that's working on, let's just use, I don't know, 
uh, low intense plyometric exercise like box pogos where we're just getting that rhythm, we're getting the contacts and we're just getting them prepared for for sprinting outside. There's no point in reinventing the wheel and get getting one player doing a different variation of pogos when that's all we want out of that exercise. So players recognise that, but then they recognise that on some of the key lifts or the key exercises, there's, there's big differences based off testing. Um, so some players may be working on maximal strength, so they may be on, I'm going to use the trap bar again. <laughs> um, they may be on a heavy trap bar lift of three times three that day. Um, and another uh, group of players may be on a banded variation because they're working on strength speed based off the testing. This is what they want, blah, blah, blah. So the, there's a there's an element of individualization in a generic setting, if that, if that makes sense. Um, and then not only that, certain players may be training um, with the first team, so the 20 training, uh, and it's match day minus four for them, but some may have a game uh, on the Wednesday with the reserves team because they need minutes. They won't just do robustness because that's what they're doing. They'll do the PFW or the match day minus one primer. Um, and that's, again, another way of individ individualising their programme within the week. So um, it's individualization within the session, obviously, but it's also individualization within their own their own personal meso and micro cycles. Um, and that's one thing that I, the theme sessions really allows to do. So if I'm not here for whatever reason, whether that's because I'm in a different room, in a different building, or actually not even in on the day, other coaches can just deliver that session because they know our oh, cows left this handover. We're doing robustness, and this is the robustness session for these players. And these players are doing the the primer session. So there's there's a lot of individualization, a lot of planning that goes into it. Um, and like I say, the play the biggest the biggest win is the players use that language. That is the biggest win. The players use the language, and if if you've got the players using the language, um, in my opinion, you you're onto a real winner. They use it because they understand it. It makes complete sense to them, doesn't it? Whereas if you start to get... <laughs> yeah. yeah, true, true. If you start to get too technical, though, that's when you've not got that, isn't it? That players don't understand it and the probably interest and um, focus is going to be reduced on that what, what they're actually doing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to give a, a real example, so a one-game week on a match day minus uh, five, so... Uh, let's just use a standard week, Saturday, Saturday to Saturday games. Um, plus one is off generally, um, uh, or recovery, depending on the manager's choice. Uh, and then plus two, or the Monday, if you like, plus two minus five, as we call it, is a recovery day. Um, in my remit, it's called your needs. So on that day, there's certain players that have played 90 two days ago, so they're match day plus two, but there's players that have played very minimal minutes or none at all, or not, or not in the squad. So they're minus five. And their their needs is completely different to the needs of the players that that um that played. So that day is your needs in terms of when you when you enter the gym room, if you like. Um, and that generally obviously recovery for the the starters or the sixty plus minutes. Um, anyone less than thirty or not in the squad will will do um, so either obviously grass based training work in terms of their volume intensity will be higher. Um. And then anything indoor, they may do uh, what we call TLC. So that is a session where they're working on a lot of corrective stuff, mobility, trunk. So very low intense uh, remedial work that is beneficial, obviously. But um, as soon as they know that um, it's TLC, they know it's not a hard session. It's mm -hmm. some really important small nuggets that they need to work on. And that was typically in the past called IRM, so injury risk management. And the buy-in then was very poor, whereas now it's almost like that session. Again, that's one of the biggest wins for me, that that session there where they're not doing particularly hard stuff. Um, 
but they they are giving that detail, that time, that that um increase. Uh, I can't think of the word right now, but um they're putting the effort into these smaller things because they know that they're also small nuggets that that do count. Uh, match day minus four. So typically our working day would be now. This is under the current regime where we um do a, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off, and then Thursday, Friday work days. Um, so a Tuesday was what what we call robustness, um, which generally is uh, the work towards tissue tolerance and maximal strength. Um, and what if you like, a lot of people understand the word robustness. So in stay, staying injury free, although the entire program is obviously designed. To, for injury risk management, but um, so these they know when they're coming in that on robustness day they've got a heavy lift to do. Um, they've got some isometric work to do. Um, uh, so that's the type of work they know they're coming in to do. Uh, they've got some eccentric work to do on the hamstrings now, so they know like it's particularly the harder day. Um, straight away as soon as they hear robustness, they know because they know because you hear players going oh not robustness because you know it's hard. <laughs> Other ones that are hungry and eager are like yes I'm going to beat my PR this week or whatever. So. Um, and then I think the most simple one, so on a Thursday now, uh, is typically a power session, if you like, in terms of technical terms, but it's called Run Fast. I'll be honest with you, when I was coming up with the names, I, I wasn't sure what to call this session, but the whole purpose of it was power and the players relate to power is running fast. So the players know when they're coming in on a Run Fast day, there's contacts, there's plyometrics, there's ballistic work, there's some speed strength work, um, and they know that they're moving certain weights uh lightweight quick or moderate weights as quick as possible. Um we use gym aware within robustness and run fast. So there's a lot of competition. Um as well as obviously working towards the targets of the the zones that they need to be in. But um so that's one thing I'm sorry I've I've implemented as well is a lot of more competition. So there's leaderboards in the gym. Um there's like I say external feedback with the gym aware. So we use gym aware. Um and the players know that Oh, what did I get? What did I get last week, Cal? It's on the board. I got this, and that part of it is again elevated it as well. So they're doing all this before training um, with the microdosing approach, uh, and they know that they've got one or two lifts on a robustness and run fast day that are fatiguing, if you like. The rest is um, remedial filler work. That is important, but um, they know it's excuse me uh, less intense. And then one of the biggest things that when we was planning the the change was implementing primer work because there was a few players on the feedback that we got when we asked them about what they'd like to do there was a few of the european players that uh, oh sorry not particularly european but i played in europe um had experience doing primer style work um match day minus one day before a game um something that we did implement into pre uh, activation prior a little bit with some explosive like box jumps and stuff like that but not a full session if that makes sense um, so it was something that was I was a little bit uh, apprehensive about whether it would work and we get the buy-in with especially senior lads that have done the same thing for the last 10 years for example um, but that's probably the one session now that I would say has got the biggest buy-in the biggest apply, uh, application adherence players turn up they want to um, and they want to, there's a lot, a lot of competition in them in them sessions so I'm trying to raise that um, arousal if you like in terms of competition they've got a game the next day um, so I use things like I actually have now because it's the smallest session of the week from me. So they get more time to themselves. So as they go throughout the week, their their self prep gets longer. Um, so five to 10 minutes on a robustness day compared to on a match day minus one, they get up to 15 minutes um, on to themselves. And then it's 15 minutes of me rather than a five twenty five split, if that makes sense. Um, 
so yeah they get and within that self prep time I set a little mental challenge of like quizzes of like who am I and footballers and this, rather than them the reason for that as well um I actually got the idea from one of the kit men so I can't take full credit but um <laughs> Um, he asked me who am I and I was like you know what and it was a day before a game I thought this is excellent and then two of the lads started trying to guess it and I was like this is excellent because it takes their focus away from the game which you could argue yeah. but they have meetings for that they go into te- uh, tactical meetings with the coaches for that while they're with me I want them to not think about that and get them self ready physically and mentally so not only do I have competition with the exercises um, like I could say in that self prep time while they're biking while they're foam rolling they're all discussing this who am I or whatever it is and um, that's something that they're getting the lads no one actually minus one cow where's a quiz because sometimes I might not have it up in time so they're like where's the quiz <laughs> um, and that, that that's just like a small uh, uh, what's it called um, one of the soft skills that I was uh, talking about earlier that I think is really beneficial is trying to connect with the players and it allows them to banter with me and if I get if I've done something wrong on the question they're like oh cow you got that wrong that's your fault and it allows you to build that rapport with the players as well and again get more buy-in Um don't be a robot is probably my biggest advice in terms of coaching. But um, yeah, so throughout the week, there's just themes, players know when they're doing stuff. Um, and that is, yeah, 100% the biggest win. Um, and players ask about the scores, no boards, um, jumps, whatever it may be, gym aware lifts, whatever it may be. Um, and it's such a much more fulfilling experience as a coach than, than what we did prior, if you like. So... Um, all round for the players and, and for staff is it's much, a much better environment as well. So that's a brilliant breakdown, mate. And I apologise for getting your title wrong at the start, which is which should have been psychologist and quiz master. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm for that to be changed, to be fair. Yeah, definitely. No, that was awesome, mate. I think there was loads in there for people to take away, um, just on how things have transitioned as well for your time at the club. And the lessons as well, because I think there's a big difference, isn't there, behind the education that you pick up across your career and then making it really applied and the lessons in terms of work, working with individuals, um, which is obviously what you're describing there. That's just through experience, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. In terms of um, just wrapping things up, I normally finish these episodes with the quick fire questions at the end. Okay. So we'll go through these now. Nothing too, nothing too hard to, for you to tackle. No, no um, tough quiz questions like you're going to come up with. When I listen to these, I'm always like, oh, really intrigued. <laughs> really inspiring. So I'm now putting pressure on myself. So there you go. <laughs> Just give us some of the main influences on your career so far. Uh, we're talking names or experience? Yeah, names. Um, oh, I get pressure here again. So. I mentioned one, um, kind of without mentioning his name, uh, in terms of the the guy that asked me to ask the players, and I know again it's a trivial thing, what they want. It was such a, a it's a big moment because it's work that's still happening now and it's been happening for the last three years because of that question. Um, and not only that, I still talk to him outside of outside of this um, remit, if you like, or the other job. But Callum Walsh, Callum Walsh has been uh, the one of the biggest influences on my career. And we actually didn't see eye to eye at first. I'll be really honest. Um, maybe it was the same name. I don't know what it was. <laughs> I remember having a little fallout in the sauna once, but um, no, um, he's definitely been, he's very innovative. Anyone obviously that's listened to his podcast that he's been on and spoke to him and maybe been to conferences and even experienced working with him because he's, he's a, he's a journeyman. <laughs> I don't think he'll, um, I don't think he'll mind me saying that. 
but um he has every story in, in the world for you. But um yeah, he because of that though, is so much insight and experience that he's had, it allows you to think about things not just black uh, black and white, but also orange, green, yellow and, and purple. So uh because of that that experience working with him, it, it, I'm I like to implement a lot of things or try to, not maybe not as good as him, but um try to implement a lot of my not only my coaching but my approaches um to myself as a coach and how I reflect and and how I move forward and how I change and not being afraid of change because that's the biggest message from that conversation we had. Don't be afraid to try something. Yeah. Uh, if I'm honest, I I was prior. Um, it definitely wouldn't be right of me not to mention uh, Dr. John Iger. So obviously a big name in in this industry, if you like. Um, he he's one of the a very different experience to Callum Walsh. Um, but definitely the best way to describe it is he taught me all the fundamentals, um, I believe that I still have now. So organizational skills, um, how to structure things, um, how to structure my days, weeks, sessions, um, that sort of stuff, stuff that is, is really vital to making sure when you're on the gym floor, you perform at your best. Um, so yeah, definitely John Iger. And then I have to mention Dan, Dan Hughes that I've, I've work, I work with now still because he's the reason I'm in the game because he gave me the role as an intern. So, um, yeah, but again, Dan, very different experiences. Um, he has, his philosophy is very, he's quite a bi biomechanical man, a movement guy. Um, and again, within the industry of SNC, as we know, there's different elements and, and segments to it. Um, so I've learned a lot from him and it's allowed me to, I'd say my, my strength is strength and power. Um, but then to be able to implement this work and learn the things off him as well, and in and collaborate the way we do, um, has been it's been really, yeah, in experience and, and influential. So, um, I, I've only ever, I've only mentioned actual physical coaches, but there's obviously technical coaches as well that I've worked with that have um, influenced the way I work. And uh, or oh, sorry, the psychologist has been one. So Matt, Matt Tom's I work with, and he uh, he again is a reason why. I do the way I do prep now. Um, so he's the, he's the man, not behind me, but in terms of me, the man behind me, if you like that, or my mind behind me, because any ideas I had, I would always run by him and how would I implement this? Why don't you try this, this and this? So he, again, something away from him as an individual, but a psychologist within a, a coaching setting and, and within a team, I think really vital. Something that when I first started again, I would not have even thought of. Obviously, I know it's a lot more, um, prevalent nowadays within the, the sporting industry, not just football. It's a massive, massive role, in my opinion. Um, it's the mind behind the mind, if you like. Um, and yeah, a very big influence on my my career, definitely. I think you might have already answered this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What would you say is your number one strength as a practitioner? Oh, trying to think. I know, I know what I'm going to say, but how I word it, um, being approachable actually, as simple as that. One of my biggest strengths is being approachable and being relatable. And I don't just mean as a person, but just uh, even as a coach. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a coach that so I, I have the philosophy of I try everything I coach. I try to, I train myself for my own health, obviously, but I actually try things for the purpose of coaching as well and how it should feel. Etc. Blah blah. So not only do I believe I'm relatable as a person to to a lot of the lads, but 
um, and, and coaches as well, but also I like to be able to relate to them physically. So when I'm asking them to do something, I know not. I don't just. I haven't just read how to coach it in coaching cues, but I actually know how it feels as well. Um, so that's one of my biggest philosophies, and I'll always carry that with me. Um, I don't think that means everyone has to be like that, but I, I, for me, it really helps me understand what I'm coaching as well. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably my biggest strength um, and organization <laughs> uh, to tick a tick a, a CV box there you like. <laughs> <laughs> um, organization, organizational skills definitely i i have everything that i deliver planned to the t like i say with as small as gold standard regressions progressions alternatives i mean that's such a simple thing but it, it helps a lot um with always having something so you're not put on you're not put on your uh on your toes and, and, and fall on your feet kind of thing so um yeah organizational as well if you were able to chat to Callum before you moved to, before you got the opportunity at Huddersfield, so coming out fresh from a degree, mm. you had to give that Callum back then some career advice. What would it be? I don't know if this answers the question, but um, so I actually, my in terms of my career, I came straight out, straight out of undergrad uh, of exercise science, straight into this this role, if you like, yeah. that like I spoke about at the start. And it wasn't for seven years until I actually studied my master's degree. Now, obviously, there's certain points where I've, I spoke to a lot of coaches in the industry and they've all got their master's and started the PhDs and they were younger than me. Um, I'm 30 now. Um, I started when I was 20, technically. And I didn't start studying for my master's until I was 27. And um, again, Callum Walsh, he did the opposite. He did his degree earlier. He did his master's degree almost straight after his undergrad. And um, we spoke about this a lot because I always question whether actually does that make me not a better coach because I've not done my master's. Um, obviously, having done my master's, when I went into the master's, I felt really old, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> because a lot of undergrads that have gone straight into the master's degree. And what was really unique for me uh, at that point was everything I was learning, I was able to relate and it almost helped me. It helped me look like I knew what I was on about, to be fair, which <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure is the case all the time, but. Um, it was just a really unique way because it allowed me to go in, learn the theory stuff, but then apply it, um, not just in the the actual lectures and sessions, but also come back and apply it. Whereas obviously what I experienced talking to the other students on the course was, well, they've just come out of their undergrads and they uh, have gone straight into the masters, but don't have any experience working in any field of, of S&C, if you like. So that's what I was studying. Um, and it was really hard for them to to apply and relate anything. Um, I, I don't think there's one way that's better than the other, but I, I do really appreciate it because I, I didn't appreciate the way I did it, whereas now after doing it, I do. Um, in fact, the way what I learned at uni largely was definitely implemented into what I do now with physical prep and the microdosing because um, the course was Paul Comfort and Matt Cuthbert, who did the microdosing recent paper, et cetera, um, with Paul Comfort, et cetera. So there's a lot of that stuff I learned on that course that, is the reason I do the way I do prep now. So um, I do believe that is a lot of, sometimes a lot of people that go into study degrees, whether they're in work at the same time, don't always use what they learn because they haven't got the opportunity to, or they haven't got the freedom to, or the autonomy to. Um, whereas I went through a really unique experience of being able to learn it and just come in and do it um, and yeah. try it. Uh, and it's still like to this day, I use a lot of stuff I've learned. So that's been a really unique way. And like I said, I used to question work because I haven't studied for seven years. 
does that mean I'm behind? Or obviously I did a lot of my own reading and, and learning, etc. But I didn't have the official title, if you like, of Master of Science in Strength Conditioning. Um, I have now. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, like I say, if, if anyone listens to this for advice, I wouldn't say there's a right way or a wrong way, but definitely don't discourage doing five or six years experience if you're lucky enough to be able to get it and then doing a degree. Because um, ex experience is definitely as important as, as getting a degree. Um, which I, so I now understand why they always ask for X amount of experience in job and job applications. So yeah, I'd say that's probably my biggest point. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Really good point. I think it's it's true for a lot of people as well, isn't it? Because you see, I'm sure people even relating back to degrees, which is a hard one because you need that to get opportunities. But if you're to do degrees, once you've got experience, you relate to a lot of stuff that you cover a lot yeah. more because you know why you're covering it, don't you? But then, like I said, it's hard because you need that. You do need that versus the tick box to get the opportunity. So, no, I think that's a great point. Yeah, it's, just... difficult. it's difficult, for, like I say, for students to... I have, I've received emails from people that are asking for experience and I'd love to be able to say, because if I was that, I did it. I did it when I was a student and I didn't get replies. I did get replies. So I do try and make sure I reply to all of them and other colleagues get the same thing. Um and yeah, it's, it's difficult to give advice sometimes because the best advice is get experience, but getting experience isn't that easy. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Final thing, mate, final question. CPD, how do you approach that now? Just continuing your development as a as a practitioner, how do you go about that? Uh, so as a practitioner, again, obviously one of the common requirements to have a uh, recognised accreditation, if you like. So I'm an NSCA member, CSCS. As part of that, you obviously you have to, to to continue that. You have to to do CPD. Um, so one of my my most recent CPD is actually my masters, <laughs> as it happens. Um, a lot of my so within that you have is certain CPDs that are worth more credits, etc. And so one of my smaller credit ways of doing CPD is podcasts. If I'm being really honest, podcasts I, I learn a lot from. Um, I try to listen to for and against. If I see titles that are for and against, so one that says this is excellent and one that says this is not, not I try to listen to both. So there's pros and cons. And I can make my own informed decision based off either experience or knowledge or what they've said. Um, so I do a lot of that. I, I'm not the best reader. I'll be, I'll be really honest. I've never been the best reader. I, I don't mean I can't read. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I struggle with reading a lot of information, taking it in. Um so the best way I, I like probably most people I read abstracts. If I like the paper, I read the, the rest of it. Um, but I also recently, recently I, I I read a lot of books in terms of uh, S and C, but also psychology. Like I say, I, I think one of the biggest things for S and C in, in sport is digging into psychology and how you can make the most of that. Because like I've already said, without um, without that psychological advantage uh, of being able to work in that way all the knowledge of SNC that you've got may go to waste so so yeah I read a lot of books um, and then yeah trying to get on as many courses as possible to be honest with you um, it always depends on from being really honest funding and stuff like that but yeah I try to um, get on as much courses as I can whether that's workshops or just uh, conferences or uh, and networking as well um, one of my favourite favourite social media is LinkedIn actually um, because there's so much research out there and everyone that conducts the research, everyone's on there. It's such a great environment. So you can pick up papers about this, this and this and people sharing this. Um, so yeah, I actually use LinkedIn as a source 
of a channel for, for CPD, if you like. Um, and then also, I'd, they were actually went through a period of time where we'd go into different uh, sports clubs uh, as well. Um, so having that link to Huddersfield Giants, we did that a couple of times. That, that was a few years ago now. We had, was fortunate enough to have a quite a close-knit um, link with, obviously, them using the same stadium, etc. So, yeah, going into different sports clubs is, is something that we've utilised quite a lot here. Um, if you've got contacts or if you've got, for example, it was actually our psychologist at the time. He worked with, because he was a consultant, he worked with uh, Exeter, uh, Leicester Tigers, Exeter, Exeter Chiefs, sorry, Leicester Tigers, uh, little bits in Man- Manchester City and stuff. So he had links for us to be able to, whether it was conversate, uh, over something like this or even social media or, or or phone or actually go in and actually experience a day, um, a working day, if you like. So that sort of stuff was massively beneficial because it just allows you to see what other teams or sports and uh, clubs are, are doing and not doing. Um, that's really, for me, one of the most valuable ones I've probably done. Um, and yeah, and then also keeping up with all the other accreditations, I, obviously I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be now after my master's working more towards uh, other accreditations as well. Um, and tick- uh, not ticking them off because that sounds like I'm ticking a box, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, making sure that I'm having a different different avenues of information um, from different uh, different sources. Class. Oh, and also, last... and also, sorry, mate. sorry, read stuff outside of fitness. Yeah. That's- great advice that I can give because it opens your mind to thinking differently um, and don't think like to become a better coach so you have to read strength or fitness coach things to, to become a better coach yeah I think that ties in with a lot of stuff you've covered in terms of that's where players are truly going to buy in as well isn't it having a bit more about yourself than just strictly sets reps exercises oh, and watch Netflix all, all the lads watch Netflix so there you go got something to talk about <laughs> I don't have I'm not a Netflix watcher, to be fair, but um, there's certain programs that have been pushed on, and yeah, it gives you something to talk about, and it allows allows players to buy into you. So yeah, it becomes relatable, doesn't it? 100. Yeah. percent Cal, you just mentioned LinkedIn. If people want to reach out to you, would that be the place you'd send them, or is there anywhere else? I'd yeah, I'd say LinkedIn. I think that's the platform I use that's work related. Uh, if I'm honest, I'm not a massive fan of social media. Away from that, to be fair, but um, if anything related to this, I would say LinkedIn. Yeah. Class. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, mate. That's been quality and we'll uh, definitely get you on again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for the experience as well. Like I say, first one as such. So First of many, mate. First of many. Thank you. Big thanks to Callum for coming on the podcast. It's been far too long and I can't believe this is the first one he's done. Um, there's a lot of practitioners out there, which is one reason why I started the podcast, whose work... They just get on with the work day to day. They do absolutely quality work. They get on with the work. They don't go too much around promoting themselves and putting the work out there. And for me, that's a bit of a shame. So it was great to get Callum on because he shared some incredible work. Also, make sure you go and check out his presentation on our online community as well because he sort of delved into some of the details a little bit more and obviously you can see it a little bit more visually on the presentation as well. But yeah, it's great to get Callum on and chat with him. I think there was loads of takeaways on this. So I'm just going to try and narrow it down to just about three. I think the first of which is where we talked about picking up experience and he was doing a lot of work around GPS. So that enhanced his understanding of game demands, which has then led him into, obviously he works a little bit more gym-based now, but he's still got that understanding behind him. So I think that's an important um, 
factor to raise, especially someone that's early on in their career, even if you do end up in a similar role to Callum's, which is head of strength, you it's not going to do you any harm at all doing extra work like that along the way to pick up that that understanding. The other thing he mentioned was his experiences on the different styles of training, so the more British style compared to the more European style. And he said about having more contact time on the European style for him as a practitioner in the role that he's in, which was interesting as well. And then this actually refers nicely into the next episode. I'm going to tell you that's with in a second, which I don't normally do. But he talked about having themes and names of sessions. And he and obviously broke that down into how that actually changed and obviously it makes it easier for players to understand that as well because it makes it you're talking in language that they completely get i think that's really really important so having things like that in place are definitely something that you could apply for, to your practice as well and i hope you took away the process that he went through as well in making those changes because i thought he brought that down really really well so yeah again Massive thank you to Callum for coming on. Again, thank you for listening. Please give it a a share to as many people as you can, um, as we normally ask. I really appreciate everyone who shares the podcast. Make sure you go and check Callum out on social media as well. Um, We'll attach all the links to his socials in the show notes. And just before we go, make sure to go and give our sponsors a follow. Check out the work that they're doing. So Hytro, The Good Prep, and also Rezzle, you can search them all on socials, keep an eye on what they're doing, they're doing some amazing work. And like I just mentioned, we never do this. Next week, episode 254 is an episode with the founder of 292 Performance, Ben Rosenblatt. So Ben was previously the men's physical performance coach for the England national team. And it's an incredible episode. Really enjoyed chatting with Ben. And you're going to take absolutely loads from it as well. So make sure you're subscribed. So when we upload it and it drops on the Wednesday morning, it goes straight into your inbox. Go and go and do that now if you're not already subscribed. And yeah, that's all I'll say for now. But we covered absolutely loads in that one. And Ben's a top, top guy as well. So make sure you get ready for episode 254. I hope you all have a good week. And I'll speak to you in that episode next week.